Welcome to Getting Goosebumps, The Power of Storytelling, the weekly podcast helping you to craft stories that inspire, entertain, and convince. Each week, listen to leading industry experts from top marketers and CEOs to producers and writers from the entertainment industry. Learn how to elevate your brand message and spare your audience into action. In this week's Getting Goosebumps, I had the pleasure of chatting with Jen Grisanti. Jen started her career as an assistant to the legendary TV producer Aaron Spelling. Now Jen is an acclaimed story expert with her own consultancy, helping writers break into the film and TV industry, drawing from her experience working on shows such as Beverly Hills 90210, Melrose Place, Charmed, and many more. Her experience as a studio exec means that she'd worked with over 800 writers specialising in TV, features and novels, many of whom have gone on to huge successful careers. In our conversation, we talk about her career and her approach to helping writers to develop their skills, plus we discuss at length the highly successful storytelling techniques she's developed over the years. Sit back and relax and take in these pearls of wisdom from Jen Grisanti. Well, hello and welcome to another show, everyone. This week, I'm very pleased to be joined by international speaker and highly acclaimed story and career consultant, Jen Grisanti. Uh, Jen, thanks so much for coming on the show. How are you doing this fine morning? I'm doing great and I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, great. I'm, um, I'm really looking forward to talking to um, today, Jen, for a number of reasons, actually, because I think... Um, I have a sneaky feeling you're going to give us some pearls of wisdom that the audience are going to love. But before we get to that, can you just start by giving us the greatest hits of your background just to give the audience a little bit of um, context before we jump into the, to the main. Oh, of course, of course. So I started my career in the early nineties. I, my first big job that led to a lot, um, which was shortly after I graduated from USC and that was, I landed a position as an assistant to Aaron Spelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from that, I really had to figure out what was my path? What did I want to do? Did I want to be an agent? Did I want to be a producer? Did I want to be a writer? Did I want to be an executive? And I always say that time in Aaron Spelling's office was like my master's uh, uh, ability my 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 I got my master's in Aaron Spelling's office where I learned what I really wanted so that led me to eventually run current programming at Spelling Television I was there for 12 years he was my mentor then I went to CBS Paramount where uh so at Spelling I covered Beverly Hills 90210, uh, the Melrose Place, the original, both of those were the original of those shows, and Seventh Heaven and every show that Spelling did from 1994 to 2004. Then I became vice president of current programming at CBS Paramount, where I covered shows including Medium Numbers, NCIS, girlfriends in the 4400 and to give your audience an idea of what a current programming executive does is when development uh sells a pilot and it goes to series then it comes into the current programming department 
And what that means is the executive is responsible for working with the executive producer on staffing the writers and the directors mm -hmm. and working with the executive producers and the writers from story concept to outline to script to screen. So, mm -hmm. so the whole mission of the current programming executive is to keep the show on the air as long as possible and mm -hmm. to be a liaison between the network and the studio. Uh, so that was my job. Then after that, so I went through a bit of an abrupt moment where uh, that path ended. And uh, I started my own company 10 years ago with Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., and I'm a story career consultant for writers, and that led me to write three books and do seminars around the world and, and writers retreats. And uh, then I also became the writing instructor for Writers on the Verge at NBC. I've been there for nine years, and that is a diversity writing program that NBC does where uh, every year uh, we get about 2,000 to 2,500 submissions, and those are narrowed down to the top eight. And then I teach those eight during a 12-week period. And the whole uh, goal of the program is that they get represented and staffed. And, um, you know, the program provides the tools through having them write. Uh, we used to have them write a TV spec and a TV pilot. Uh, this year, for the first time, we're having them focus mainly on writing TV pilots. Okay, so where do, you, where do you start when that program comes together? Do you start with story structure? Do you focus in on how to create story um, for a, a series and then break it down episodes? Like what, what's, the, what's the sort of level of sort of competency in that room? Well, what you have to keep in mind is the eight that are selected have already mastered writing the TV spec script because that's what they submitted. Right, and okay. then when it gets down to like the top 15, they are asked to submit pilots. Mm -hmm. So it is, so we have a glimpse inside of their ability to write the original show and 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 hear their voice and so when we start we're starting certainly with a group of writers who are at an accelerated place in their writing so okay. it really is um starting you know it's like like i did in current programming it's like we start with the story concept so we have them pitch uh, this year, we had them pitch, my gosh, I think anywhere between six and eight pilots in the first three weeks. And then wow. we decide what are the two strongest pilots. And then we're going to have them actually write two outlines and one outline we're going to go with and we're going to work on that script. And then if there's time to go into the second one, we're going to go into the second one. So really, it's working with them. I mean, I definitely have a story system that I've developed uh, with between, I mean, I've worked in the business for close to 25 years now, mm -hmm. and I have developed a system based on the incredible writing that is out there. So I have extracted 
formulas and story tools from the top television shows out there, by the way, many of which are from the UK. (laughs) So, uh, so I definitely um, am with this course with this uh, writers on the verge, it's taking them in to how we see story. I I work with Karen uh, Horn, who is the senior vice president at NBC and runs a number of these uh, diversity programs for NBC. Um, so we, we're working with them on, on their story and helping them write the type of pilot that can't be ignored so yeah. that they get staffed and so that it eventually could maybe lead to a sale. Ooh, okay. Well, there's lots to, there's lots to sort of um, to look at there. I mean, I'd, I'd like to circle back to the diversity thing, actually, but uh, I, I listened to an interview between yourself and uh, Prentice Penny um, yes. earlier in the week. Um, I love Prentice. He's fantastic. Yeah, he's, yeah, he was so cool. I was watching some of his sort of recent stuff. Uh, he's got a series on, um, I was watching on, on YouTube as well. He's, he seems yes. like a really cool guy. Amazing um, guy. Yeah, and it was interesting what you were saying about sort of diversity of a, a writing room. So I'd, I'd love to come back to that. But actually, um, you were talking about uh, comedy. Yes. Um, and like they say, comedy is one of the sort of hardest things to write. But what strikes me, Jen, is like, you know, you're mentoring and um, help, helping writers shape their own work. So um, sometimes that must be comedy. It might be drama. It might be a, a thriller or, or, or whatever. So from a structure point of view, you know, um, first of all, when you're reading uh, a, a script for the first time, What's the sort of really early signs that somebody's nailed it or they've, you know, they've, they've got something when, you know, what do you look for to say, Oh, this is some value in this. This, this is great. Do you know the interest? It's a very good question. And I would say the biggest thing I look for, like when I went through the top 15 scripts, I don't go through the 2000 plus scripts. I, I read, we have eight readers that go through all of that and rank them. And, and there's a really great system set up to make sure that everybody gets a very strong chance at getting into the top tier. And when we get down to the top 12 to 15, I will read uh, those pilots this year. Uh, I read those pilots. So the main thing I looked for when I was reading through those scripts, if if you were to narrow it down in very simplistic terms is Mm -hmm is I was looking for how well the writer set up the personal void of the central character and how the pursuit. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Personal void. And, and then how the pursuit was one step toward healing that void. Wow. I think, I think we just, we just jumped straight into the advanced course there, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so let's start with the, the personal void. That sounds really interesting. Can you give us a bit of context around that? Yes. You know what is an excellent, excellent show? There's, and there are two um, British shows, the uh, Happy Valley and the, U- and the um, a River. So let's go into River. So if we look at River, we, you, you have... Um, So the personal void is usually a combination of an earlier wound and very often, if it's done well, a childhood wound. 
So, and then you have the wound that the series trigger splits open. So in a show like River, you have the incident that happened right before we enter the story. And that incident devastated our lead character. And then you have the series trigger in Dilemma that happens when he chases a young kid who he believes is connected to the, the loss that he experienced before we enter the story. And okay. the kid winds up falling to his death. So you essentially have the moment of, then we'll learn that he has a childhood wound. So then you, you take those three wounds and that really constructs the void of your central character. And then the pursuit during the episode is when a case comes in that he and his partner didn't solve and all the mother wants is for the body to be found. And because River is in the depth of knowing what it is to lose someone, uh, he connects with the boyfriend who confesses to killing uh, his girlfriend and River knows that he didn't do it. So in River helping the boy and finding the truth, he's actually helping himself. So he's one step toward healing his own void in this process. So there's, there's a, an inner motivation and an outer motivation yes. working, working together. Okay. Exactly. So the internal stakes and the external stakes. And when we have a glimpse inside the void, then that helps create a rooting factor for the central character. Ah, okay. Cause I was going to say that's all, that, that all makes perfect sense. Why does it resonate and connect to, to an audience? Because when you look at, like, I'm definitely a believer when I look at shows that excel and take us places we've never been taken, like River, like uh, Happy Valley, like Marcella, like Fleabag, like Handmaid's Tale. Uh, there's a new show on Netflix called Atypical. So when you look at shows like this, they're, they're really bringing us inside the and answer the question, why do I care? And mm -hmm. when we know why we care, then we invest in watching the series. So that is everything, the connection you make with your audience is everything that equates to the outcome you're gonna get. Okay, so, I mean, our audience is made up from quite a sort of broad, broad mix. Largely there's, you know, marketers and general sort of writers for business and a whole host. But basically what you've just said there is a really good question. If, if you write something and it's a story that you want to resonate with your audience, a good question to ask is, why do I care? And I, I guess, I guess you need the answer to that question. Um, Probably in the first five pages. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Like, so, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I, I find that I find that fascinating, actually. And um, some some of our some of our audience um, don't have the luxury of writing five pages; they have one page. Right. So, so if, do you have a sort of a, a structure, a sort of general rule of thumb of how to create an inciting incident, or you know, yes. basically say something happens, set the premise. Because you know, I guess it, it's harder to write concisely and 
and and short, right? I mean, I I don't know, but what's, what's oh, it definitely there? is. I mean, if if I were to give you like, uh, let's say a show like Marcella. So uh, Marcella opens where we see her in a bathtub covered in blood, and it's clear that she's disoriented and doesn't know how she got there. So we're starting with the consequence. And when you start with the consequence, Breaking Bad is another example of a show that starts with the consequence. And when you start with the consequence, you you bring your audience in because you show your character in the heat of the moment of something bad that happens and you create a vulnerability and you create an anticipation that the audience wants to know more about what led to that point. So that's the easiest way to grab somebody in a moment. And then if you're not going to start with the consequence and you're going to, because when you start with any future moment, it always has to be the consequence. And that consequence needs to link to your series trigger and dilemma and or your pilot trigger dilemma pursuit. So that is definitely a large part of the story system that I teach from. So, th so the quickest way to bring us in is to show us why we care. Like, like in a show, um, say like The Good Wife, uh, we immediately see uh, that Peter is going to jail uh, because of a sex scandal and Alicia slaps him like in the first page or two. And, and so we know that, that because Peter's going to jail, Alicia's losing her breadwinner. She's losing her husband, the father of her kids. She's losing her breadwinner. And that creates a powerful dilemma that brings us into the central character. Amazing. I mean, do you know, I, I bet some of the audience are thinking, hmm, Brian's not saying much this episode. It's literally, I'm just intensely listening. I'm like, this is like a masterclass for me. I'm like, oh, I love it. Start, start <laughs> Yay. Great. So tension's an interesting one. I mean, obviously, you know, there needs to create a story arc. I guess you need some element of adversity or some sort of uh, friction. But you mentioned um, vulnerability. Jen, why is vulnerability so powerful in writing? Vulnerability is everything because vulnerability often uh, stems from emotional truth and emotional truth is what connects the writer with their audience. So when we, we all, first of all, it's a very universal life experience. When we see a character uh, go through humiliation or go through pain, we all identify with that. So that immediately brings your audience in, which is what you want, because you in the, the main mission of story is to make your audience feel like I see you, you see me within the context of your story. Mm -hmm. I like that. I see you, you see me. And yeah, I mean, going through pain, and humiliation, I guess, in sort of broad sort of storytelling terms, that's not always that's not always possible. Um, I mean, is there any other sort of universal techniques to to just? Oh yeah, to... like like well, when you say pain and humiliation isn't always 
part of it. I would say that a lot of story, when you're dealing with your series trigger and dilemma, you're essentially dealing with, um, like we always say, and it's referred to in many different terms, but the second to last act is usually your all is lost moment. Well, that all is lost moment is in context to your pilot pursuit. So that moment is when your central character is as far away as possible from achieving the goal. And then through hitting rock bottom at the top of the last act, they take an action that leads toward the achievement of the goal. But your series trigger and dilemma is really essentially kind of like your your first all is lost moment because your series trigger and dilemma is is something that's turning your central character's world upside down and and then the pursuit is going to be a step toward bringing that back in balance so you your your series trigger into dilemma need to be a strong enough moment that either sets up your season one or sets up your pilot in a very powerful way that brings the audience in. So mm. if that's not humiliation or direct pain, then that is failure or that is anything that elicits the idea that the world has been thrown out of balance. Okay. And is it is it helpful? Does it add value if that dilemma is might be something that the audience has gone through them themselves? I mean, they've got to be able to identify with that dilemma, though, right? Oh, definitely. But you can certainly have, like, say, for example, I covered the show, the forty four hundred. So the series trigger and dilemma is when forty four hundred people are taken from Earth uh, in one moment, and then they are returned to Earth. Uh, and and they have not changed. They're the same they were in the moment they were taken, but time has moved on. So they're reinserted back into the timeline at the same time they were taken to a time that has moved on. So now none of us can really, or none of us can identify with that life experience, but what we, <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> but, but what we can identify with is we can identify with loss. We can identify with isolation. We okay. can identify with trying to find family. Yeah. So it's the fundamental sort of emotional building blocks underneath that, that, yes. that people identify with. Okay, cool. So, I mean, I, I can see how that plays out with sort of high drama and exaggerated circumstance and that kind of stuff. But what's your advice with people just trying to tell a simple story and, or trying to storify something that's happened? You know, is there, is there any sort of uh, universal truths to, you know, there must, something must happen there must be adversity and this, that, and the other. Is there anything that you go by a, a general a sort of a rule of thumb that can be used in a sort of broader context? Well, let's, you can definitely, certainly with comedy, I mean, you're very often dealing with more of something simplistic that you're, you're deepening uh, with the experience. So if you look at something like atypical and mm -hmm. you open with your trigger and dilemma that sets up, your season is you have an autistic boy who suddenly decides that he wants a girlfriend. 
So it's not like this massive thing, but it, it's this main series setup. It is this situation that every character is linked to. It's the emotional response of one family to the idea of their, um, the fact that you have this boy who suddenly wants a girlfriend and what that entails and how that affects the family. So each arc, you know, you have a mother who needs her son to need her and this is gonna turn her world upside down as he shifts into this. Then you have a father who's never been able to connect with his son because of the autism. And this might be an opportunity for him to connect with his son. And then you have a sister who's ultrally protective of her brother. Uh And this is going to challenge all of them because the idea of an autistic child being hurt could have a much more exaggerated outcome, which affects everyone. So the problem of the hero links to the the entire cast. Yeah, and I guess you've got the opportunity to look at the world from multiple different perspectives there as as well. So and that and that comes stems from a simple simple idea, a simple yes, exactly. and, And I can see how you know you can take that into a whole host of different directions to create. Um, comedy but like in in the sort of um, in general I think people's perception of comedy writing or trying to make something funny is kind of high risk because well let's face it it's not easy to be to be funny or design something that's that's humorous it can go it can go badly wrong Um, yes you're totally right the comedy script (laughs) is the hardest script to write the comedy pilot is by far the hardest script to write. And I guess, I guess part of that is you've got to know your audience very well to, get to sort of second guess what might sort of go down, go down well. But what else, what are the sort of safeguards um, do you sort of bear in mind or, or coach people through? You know, what are the sort of ABCs that you've got to get right if you're going to write anything in the, in the comedy arena? Well, it's interesting. Like for me, I always look at, what is okay you have for writers you have to think what makes you stand apart is the link between your worldview and the worldview of your central character mm-hmm. so so it's really understanding how do you see the world and the biggest thing for me like when i look at my lens of story and and the experience that i had is 12 years as a studio executive and then my experience of story since then, which has really gone so much deeper into the process of story. And and what I recognized when I first developed my system and I wrote my book, um, my first book, Storyline, Finding Gold in Your Life Story. So what I recognized with that, and this is good for all writers to, to think about, was what sets me apart from the hundreds of other screenwriting books out there. And I recognized that I had been an analyst for 17 years at that point in my process. So I thought, okay, analyzing story is what my skill is. It's what my expertise is. So how can I construct a formula that writers can really grasp onto that can 
lead them to write the type of script that hits it out of the ballpark and cannot be ignored. And that led me to the formula that is every story, and I, I got a bunch of Oscar-nominated, Emmy-nominated, and Golden Globe-nominated scripts, and I thought, what makes these stories work? And what I found was that every story starts with a trigger incident or inciting incident, depending on, on how you want to call it, uh-huh. where uh, it pushes the central character into a powerful dilemma. Now, before that, I don't think I ever fully understood the power of dilemma. And dilemma is when you have your central character is forced into a choice where neither side of the choice is an easy choice. And that's where you're creating empathy and a rooting interest because we all know what it is to be pushed into a hard dilemma and to be forced to make a choice. So Every strong story starts with a trigger incident, pushes the central character into a powerful dilemma. The choice made in the dilemma is what defines the external goal. And then every story point, every action taken, every obstacle hit needs to link back to that goal. And it's when the goal isn't clear that the story doesn't work. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know. Wow, and that's all in that's all in that book. Yes. Just that's that's actually in both my books. Yes. Like, Storyline said, Finding Gold in Your Life Story and Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Wow. Amazing. Um but I know my next next purchase on Amazon. That's that's definitely happening. <laughs> You're great. I appreciate it. <laughs> I could talk to you for hours about this. This is fantastic. I agree. I think you're fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just sitting here listening. I'm not doing anything, but I love that. The powerful dilemma because, you know, I can imagine how sort of excruciating that, you know, it can be to watch sometimes. You know, I'm thinking of various different sort of examples and, um, you know, immediately you think, oh, you've got curiosity, anticipation, you've got mm-hmm. empathy. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and then you've got direction because like, it's like, well, I need to find out how this ends now, right? Yep, exactly. Amazing. I love this. Jenna, we're nearly out of time, but um, whilst we're sort of live on air, I, w- I want to make you promise that you'll come back and talk to me again. Because of course. I, I, I think, feel like, yeah. I think we're just getting warmed up here. I think there's more for us to discuss. That sounds great. <laughs> I'd love it. Count me in. Good. Well, you've said that in front of lots and lots and lots of people now, so you have to do that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So before you go, Jen, um, can you tell us where we can find out more about you? And also, um, is there anything else like uh, your book that you want to draw our attention to or leave our audience with? Yes, I actually, so first of all, my website is jengrisanti.com. So a uh, very easy website to find. So jengrisanti.com is my website. I highly encourage people to kind of go through the website under resources. There's a ton of great information. I have a media page under about where I have a ton of interviews where it's all free information. Um, I did an interview for Film Courage that broke into like 10 separate interviews on YouTube. And I've, I've gotten tremendous feedback on that. So those are things to look at. And then I did just launch. I'm in the middle of launch week for my first 
video training series uh, for how to write the TV pilot that sells. And it's yeah, called Telling and Selling Your TV Pilot. Uh, so that, I would love to, I'll do a special on that for your listeners. So even though I'm in launch week and it's only this week where it's gonna be on special discount for $97 versus $247, I'll give your listeners the special discount um, when you air it. So I will, uh, I will put a link up on my website under blog uh, for those of you that are interested, or you can email me at jen at jengrisanti.com and I will send you a link uh, for this. Uh, I, I am so beyond excited about this product <laughs> because it's all my information in one place. And it, I really believe that it is, I've had 45 writers sell pilots, 46 actually now, I just had one new one. So I've had 46 writers sell pilots. I'm all about how do we get, what is the best platform to get information out so that people can have that outcome. And that that is what led me to produce uh, this video training series. Fantastic. And we, we'll put that um, link in the show notes as well. So great. people can find it there. But that, that sounds great. I can't, can't wait to see that myself. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for your time, Jen. Um, I can't believe I can't believe time flew over that much. I was literally, and you should see my notes as well. I'm like, oh, that's a good one. I'll write that down. I'm definitely going to do that. Ah, oh, wow. oh, so, you're so kind. I so appreciate that. Well, you're a great interviewer. You ask great questions. I'm very grateful. <laughs> you too, Karen. Thanks so much. Um, all right. That's, that's all we've got time for. I'm afraid, guys. Um, but tune in for, for part two. I'll let you know when Jen comes back on. And you know, I feel like we, we could have, um, we can definitely get another episode of some fantastic stuff there. Great. I um, look forward to it. Yeah. So guys, join me next time for some more pearls of story-based wisdom from another storytelling expert. Until next week, uh, I've been Brian Adams. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>